0: eats out every day, but people don't think about how food arrives on the plate. This is Grounded, and I'm Lauren Mitchell. Join me as we delve deep into the challenges, expertise, and experiences of professionals and innovators in the food service industry. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators. Hey there, today we have Stephanie File back joining us on for Fresh from the Field. Stephanie is our Chief Procurement Officer and here to give an update on all things you can expect to see with the lettuce transition, as well as some goodbyes. Stephanie, thanks for jumping on.
1: Thank you, Lauren. Yep, the beginning of November is almost here. And in the produce world, that doesn't just mean turkeys and holiday fun. To us, it's transition season. We deal with many transitions with categories like tomatoes, squash, and apples more often, but the biggest transition we go through is our Salinas-Yuma transitions. This is when some of our biggest growers pack up their facilities and move to the desert. TNA, Newness, Church, Diarigo, Greengate, man packing, and more will start the process as early as this week. Transition always has its challenges with trucks having to load in both regions for a while. We try to plan ahead of time but product can get shorted. And as we see the end of our harvest in Salinas and the beginning of our Yuma crops, things can get a little bit crazy. Our team works very hard to mitigate all these challenges for a seamless transition. We urge customers to get their orders in ahead of time. Check out our market alert with all the transition schedules and more. Also, make sure you stock up on these plentiful items, apples, pears, cucumbers, bananas, bell peppers, mini sweet peppers, and zucchini. With the market as crazy as it is and so many commodities being tight, these items are a great addition to any menu.
0: There you have it. Thanks, Steph. See you guys. Today's guest enjoyed an 18-year career as an award-winning chef. He had some striking observations over the course of his time as a chef that inspired him to create a project. He worked a few iterations and took that to the hit TV show Shark Tank in 2020. How did it turn out? Well, you'll soon find out. He believes passionately in the access to healthy food for all and has created a product that is not only grounded in this value, but exceeds the highest standards for food safety. Today, I welcome the founder and CEO of Simply Good Jars, Jared Cannon. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Laura. Let's have some fun.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. It has been so fun to get to know you a little bit. Um, And I'm very excited for our listeners just to hear your story and what you're all about. So.
2: Yeah. So, um... You know, Simply Good Jars was really founded on the observation after having a, an 18-year career in the industry of food and being a chef, um, kind of behind the scenes issue of food waste, the kind of need for the consumer um, grab and go healthier, you know, food segment um, actually started to accelerate, right? And the answer to that was a lot of single-use plastic, a lot of low quality, not very good or inspiring foods. Um and then, you know, as you, know, as a chef responsible for all of these restaurants, you know, throwing away all this food and then walking past people in my home of Philadelphia to, that were begging for food, you know, it just seemed like a completely broken uh, solution. So, uh, Simply Good Jars was started in the fall of 2017. We just celebrated our six year anniversary and, uh, you know, started the company on a thousand dollar loan and it's gotten us six years. So, um, so Cool. That's
0: incredible. I mean, you touched a little bit on it there, but I kind of want to break it down for our listeners because I think this is just an important moment. So you're working as a chef, you're behind the scenes. And I think some people are starting to understand more and more, not only where their food comes from, but also this, this problem of waste. So tell us a little bit more about that and then how it's sprung board into Simply Good Jars in specific to get that $1,000 loan. I mean, how did you attach the two and even just create the, the product in general?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the kind of behind the scenes reality of the industry, right, is that uh, people need to eat. They typically eat three to five, sometimes eight times a day, right? And so um, having availability of food to feed people is, you know, of high importance when you run a business based on feeding people. And so, you know, as I kind of managed multi-unit concepts, you know, whether it be fast, casual, fine dining, whatever, you always have to have your station set up with the most fresh right? Mm -hmm. Uh, freshly prepped or, or whatever, you know, products so that when you're creating, you know, whether it's a salad or a stir fry or something on the grill, you know, it's as fresh as it can be. So you're serving the guests, the best, uh, you know, products that they can get. The reality of that is that, you know, you have to prep and assume that, Hey, you know, we're going to serve a thousand people today and then it rains and then you serve a hundred, right? And so the, the, just the natural occurrence of that over and over again with, you know, insert example here, you just, you have a copious amount of waste in the back of the house, kitchens, in restaurants and quick service. Um, And then, you know, you you fast forward to grocery stores and all of that, right? You you assume when you walk into a grocery store and the pile of tomatoes was only a third, or it was like, kind of looked a little weak, you might think, you don't nobody wants to buy the last tomato, right? So you got to stack it high and hope it flies, but you know if you don't have enough people come through the door, um, you don't have enough time to sell it so it's it's it was just a pretty obvious uh, reality um, that you know we could do better, especially when you start to look at the research, that you know one out of five Americans are food insecure so much so that some don't even know where they're going to get their next meal uh, you know in the same day that we're you know that we're talking about and then you i mean you can layer on the the hidden hunger in kids and kids, and you name it, right? So, huge hunger problem in our communities. Huge, you know, we're, we have plenty of food. <laughs> um, it's yeah. just not getting the people in time, you know, at, at the freshness or the level that they're um, expecting it to. So, that was really the reality behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, and and I think you you explained it perfectly. So it's actually harder than people expect for restaurants to donate their food. It's getting better, and there's amazing companies out there that are utilizing technology to really improve and expedite this process in in what we're calling reverse logistics. Um, We had a guest, Kim Smith, on with Copia. She literally has built a business around just this, making it as easy as possible for chefs and their cooks um, to to open up an app and, and donate their food. Um, the reality is, is... in
2: in my experience, like restaurants were scared to donate their food because they feared a lawsuit. And the reality is, if you look back for decades, there's never been a single lawsuit for a restaurant donating food to someone that was in need that, you know, ended up getting sick or whatever the case is. So there was this stigma of fear that prevented this from happening. And it's great to see. Um things like Copia coming into the marketplace to, to take advantage of that need because it's real and it's there and helping to uh, to facilitate that kind of movement of goods before it goes in the trash.
0: So your observations were that. Here you had to continue to have high quality ingredients in your restaurant to be able to serve guests kind of un you know unbeknownst to who's going to come in based on weather. And there's a variety of factors that can update, you know, not to mention a global pandemic just the traffic flow in and out of restaurants and grocery stores and that alike. So you notice the problem. And then how did you bridge that to simply good jars?
2: So it was funny. I mean, when I was running some high volume kitchens, um, you know, on on the busier nights, we would do what we called kidding, which is kind of get some of the higher um, or the more popular dishes, right? Kind of three quarters of the way together so that, you know, if you're making us, let's just use a salad as an example, you know, you, we would have a a quart container, which is about a 32 ounce container. You might, you know, get your Chinese soup takeout in or whatever, right. Uh, that has a little lid. You would stock that underneath the, uh, salad station. And so we would basically put greens, dump everything that's in of our standard salad with no modifications so that we could basically plate mix and serve that, you know, high popular high volume, uh salads in you know less than three minutes. And, you know, then we got to the point where we started adding lettuce to it and whatever. And it basically was the version one of what simply Jars ultimately became, where, Mm. you know, lettuce was on top, all the ingredients were at the bottom, dressing was in the very, very bottom. Um, and it allowed us to basically during downtime when volumes are slow and not a lot of people were eating, kind of that mid, mid mid-lunch dinner time period, we were able to assemble 20 of these things, right? So that when you're in the crunch of it and you got 50 tickets and you know, everybody's yelling at you to get food in the window. Um, you were able to really kind of keep up, and um, and then you know, as some of the servers would come up and they would see them in the in the actual container, and they'd be like, "Oh my god, look how cute that is!" And they would actually <laughs> like say, "Hey, can you just don't put it in a bowl, put it in that because I want to you know, take to my station, shake it up, and you know, save it for later." Um, and that became really the the ideation for what the format and kind of look and appeal of Simply Good Jars ultimately became, you know, because we launched initially with our salad format um, that was designed to be ready, you know, shake ready, eat, uh, no pouches, no, you know, bags, no, no assembly required. Um, and it uh, you know, has iterated, you know, significantly since then, but that was the uh, the founding moment.
0: Shake, ready, eat. So no pouches. That is huge. When I get a a to-go salad, I've got to take off the plastic lid. I have to rip out the the plastic pack of croutons and then a plastic pouch of dressing. I mean, there's a lot of trash and just a takeaway salad for one in in general. So I think that is just fascinating. And I love hearing how you utilize slower times in the day to kind of mass uh, produce like that. It's almost like it started as a a ghost kitchen in some essence um, in terms of... (laughs) Working it that way. But how long did you have to work as a chef full time until you completely made the jump? And then talk to us about how the pandemic um, impacted, I guess, the packaging to start.
2: Yeah. So um, I spent about 18 years in the industry, um, you know, Culinary Institute of America, went on to work in the Ritz Carlton Hotel Group for several years, almost a decade, um, in kind of the South Florida region, Miami. Um, and then kind of found my way back into multi-unit restaurants, got my bachelor's in kind of hospitality, restaurant management. Um, And, you know, at the time the dream was I wanted to be a restaurant operator, own a bunch of restaurants and, you know, 15 years in, I realized, shit, I might be an alcoholic and divorced three times if I stay in this industry. So uh, so I started to kind of, you know, rethink path, um, found a program at Temple (laughs) University that focused on entrepreneurship and innovation. So I've always been kind of a believer in, you know, earn a foundation, and then you can ideate off of that. Uh, So I spent, you know, my last three or four years in the industry, you know, while also getting my MBA part-time, and really started to ideate this idea for, um, you know, off of this observation of, you know, fresh, healthy food being needed in more places that actually delivered on kind of the quality and, and flavor and experience. I knew was possible as a chef, but couldn't find anywhere, right? Um, and so the, the business launched at a thousand dollar loan, I quit a six figure job, didn't pay myself for six months. We started with a direct to consumer, you know, basically milkman model where we would deliver a curated assortment of products that would last you all five days in your office or at home. Um, and you know, you basically told us, Hey, I'm vegetarian, I'm vegan. I can't eat cheese. I don't eat pork, whatever. Uh, and we would kind of create a rotating uh, number of dishes that were all designed to be healthy and salad. and ready to eat uh, and good for five days uh, to your doorstep. And every time we would return the next week, we would ask that if you returned your jars from the prior week, just rinse them out. uh, We would take them, wash them, reuse, sanitize them, get them back in the circulation. So we had a closed loop zero waste model. And every jar that you gave back to us, we would then donate a meal to a local food bank through Feeding America. And so that was the launch model. And literally within weeks, we had a waiting list you know, 10 times of the amount of c- customers that we could actually service. Um, and started trying wow. to pull in all the resources and people I could, um, it was the crazy wild time. Um, and then we realized that that model, um, as we scaled it, our costs and expenses, you know, scaled with it, there wasn't really efficiencies being gained, so we started to look at kind of mm-hmm. micro markets and ways to consolidate our points of delivery to feed more people, you know, per stop, so to speak. Uh, which ended up being extremely successful until COVID effectively sent people home for two years um, to work from home and shop at their local store. And our business went, literally got cut by 98%, you know, in the middle of March of 2020. And so all we could do is, uh, you know, take this capacity we had generated to produce these products at scale. We started feeding hospitals, staff for free. We would just drop off hundreds. And sometimes thousands of meals for these workers that were, you know, putting in five hour or five day shifts, right. you know, with all this surge coming into the hospital system. And it allowed us to kind of figure out what we needed to do um, to survive. And so in doing so, we realized that we had been working on a, a processing technology that effectively extended the shelf life or the usable life of the products we had created. So that instead of you know delivering to these locations three times a week, we could deliver once a week, which created massive wow. economic benefits to our business, um, and then found out by accident in this mist of trying to you know get products out that we had achieved basically three times better shelf life than any product that had been ever in market in this category of packaged salad, right? And so that was a light bulb moment for us, um, you know, by by Easter of twenty twenty. We were in, I think, sixty Walgreens stores in Chicago, 175 convenience stores on the East Coast, and we did it from our bedrooms. We tripled our projection revenue, you know, for a quarter, and realized that this this could certainly be the future. And we had capacity to go far beyond this, and literally from our bedrooms. And so we spent, you know, the rest wow. of 2020 really redefining our business and kind of relaunched as a B two B wholesaler into retail. Um, Early twenty one, and 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 here we are, two years later. Um, you know, bicoastal, and, you know, servicing twenty four states on the east coast and west coast, and um, you know, adding new products and product lines along the way. That's leveraging this technology that we've now been able to patent in twenty six countries, and um, it's it's been pretty cool.
0: That's amazing. I, you said so much there, but I mean, I think the process. I mean, first of all, what a wild adventure love love how you took um a market disruption like the pandemic to not only give back to the community immediately uh, but also to better inform your practice down the road, moving from um, three days to one day and how you recognize right away that's actually going to immediately work for your operating expenses. I mean, I think um, sometimes these challenges really can work for us if we just allow the process to work itself out so love that you said something that really stuck out to me. earn a foundation and then ideate off that and um you know i think that that almost helps support the creativity and thought process if you kind of have that security underneath you but also i don't doubt that the 18 years that you've spent i mean first of all your menu of jars is craft um and and just chef inspired i mean you have the understanding of ingredients and how to elevate the quality um by the selection of those and the seasonality um so i'm excited to get into just telling us about a few different jars and some of the ingredients but um you know, also, you you started out as direct to consumer, you said. So you're going to households specifically. And now it's more um, B2B. Are you still offering a subscription service to households or have you completely moved away from that?
2: So it's funny. We actually just launched a partnership with folks that are doing home delivery. Right. And so okay. simply good jars as a business, our employees aren't delivering our products to consumers doorsteps and we're not charging kind of full retail price, you know, sales tax and all that what we're doing is producing our products at scale, you know, in manufacturing sites in currently New York, Florida, and Arizona that we then deliver okay. to, you know, folks that are reselling. And so we just launched a, a great partnership with Good Uncle, who's an Airmark subsidiary, uh, that is, you know, delivering to college campuses, hospitals, grab and go programs, but also um, you know, are delivering to folks homes to have kind of ready to eat simplicity jars and ready to heat mm-hmm. meals. Right. That's, you know, similar to a Freshly or, or a concept like that. Uh, that is all chef crafted, made in commercial kitchens, you know, by hand from scratch that are delicious. And so we became the perfect kind of partners to be able to kind of satisfy, you know, that fresh, healthy salad and that ready to heat meal segment, uh, for a broader set of consumers. Yeah. Uh, so we're really excited about that. And you can order online on our website, Neil, uh, which is pretty cool.
0: Awesome. It's called good uncle. Good uncle. Good uncle. Awesome. All right, before we talk about this business today and for the future, let's just hit on Shark Tank. I'm so curious about your experience. First of all, what inspired you to go on? Was there any um, time that you spent just watching the show or was it just suggested by a friend? And then, you know, what was your experience as a result of going on?
2: So I was a, you know, uh, a Shark Tank fan, irrespective and prior to, you know, contacting or being contacted by anyone from the show. um, We had received an inquiry Early 2019, from one of the casting producers, uh, oh, wow. was really kind of uh, edging us on to apply um, and set up a phone call. And at the time, you know, I'm trying to build a business and trying to fundraise and all the things you do in the early years. And the thinking is like, you know, how do I have time for this? Like, I don't know if I had time. And literally, I slept on it. And the next morning, I woke up and I'm like, I don't think they call people a lot. Like, I should probably yeah. like, you know, do this at a, and, and whatever. That's and real. so I did. Um, so went through the whole interview process, um, which was very extensive. Um, you know, we were selected to, you know, go out and film, uh, which was really cool. But in the midst of all this, a pandemic hit. And so in the middle of us trying to re-figure out what our business was going to become, we yeah. had this kind of, you know, opportunity uh, brewing, so to speak. Uh, where we, we knew we were going to film, um, which, you know, was filmed in 2020, but, you know, didn't air until, um, early 2021, but it really lined up perfectly with our kind of launch in the retail and really allowing the consumer to be a little, a little bit more educated on what we were doing. Um, and the experience itself is, was phenomenal. And I tell people all the time is exactly the way it looks is the way it is. Like, There is not a producer in anyone's ear. You're not coached to do this or that you like, you've never met the sharks. When you walk in that room, it's the first time you see them. Oh, wow. I've memorized was my pitch and everything else was literally like wide open. Right. So the anxiety level was through the roof. Um, and I'm not an anxious person, but it was certainly, I, I like to say the hardest thing I ever did, but easier than I thought it would be right because. I had a realization. I remember the moment, you know, like my, I felt my lip twitching in the beginning, right? I was, (laughs) um, but I had a a realization pretty early in that, you know, I was starting to get questions and I started to realize there's literally no one in the world that knows my business better than me. Right. And so Jared, relax, like you're here, let's have fun. Let's answer some questions and really was able to sink in, settle in and, and had that experience really, uh be positive for us. Ended up, uh, getting lucky and getting, you know, two for the price of one with a little bit of a increase in ownership percentage. And, um, you know, something we would, I would do, you know, 10 times over without, you know, thinking twice.
0: Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. That's crazy. I never thought about, it, especially with some of these small and new businesses, the the gap in, in filming to actually when it airs and and how that might impact just the the, the business model as it, as it does change so often in those early stages. So that's interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. No one knows that simply good jars better than you. So let's get into the jar, um, the ingredients and sourcing and, and sure. some advice and expertise that you've learned there. So first of all, Tell us a little bit about your team. So you created it, you know, it started, I imagine, you know, you mentioned out of the home, so a few team members, but anyone that's still there, that's been there from the beginning and, or just talk about the staff and how it's evolved over time.
2: Yeah, we've got several folks that have, you know, are coming up on their fifth anniversary, several that have, you know, ellipsed three or four years and we're only six years old, right? So, um, cool testament mm-hmm. to, you know, some of the folks that, that joined early, um, you know, aligned with our mission, passion, product, or all, um, and have been instrumental at, you know, really allowing us to gain the the success traction, um, and execution that we've been able to put out into the marketplace. So, you know, first off and foremost, couldn't have done it without them. Um, nobody can, you can't do anything, anything or everything yourself. So, um, but yeah, so team is great. You know, we early on you know, didn't have a lot of money. We had a great idea a great product and the The realization of needing people to help scale that became, you know, evident. And so my strategy was always to never write a job description. You know, really allow folks that were inquiring about roles or you know through networks to basically tell me, look, write your dream job. What's the your your next role that you would be extremely excited about? Write your own job description and a cover letter and send it to me. If there's a match in the organization for what your dream role is then, you know, there's gonna be a high likelihood here that we'll be successful. So kind of a unique approach to recruiting, um, but also, you know, really leverage the concept of having an an early advisory board and really looking at industry experts to bring them in through the advisory board, uh, several of which we had, I think, four different employees join after being, you know, a a formal advisor to the company for anywhere from six months to a year um, that, you know, once they kinda got their feet wet, so to speak, they knew that they could make immediate impacts were inspired to do so. And, you know, for whatever reason, I will never be able to explain, but they believed in me, the company and the product, and um, went, you know, went all in with us. And again, several of them have been with us since the beginning. So it's been a kind of wake up and pinch me moment, you know, well, time and time again, but the the team's amazing. Um, and the products are, you know, the whole, the whole Way that we scaled this business after COVID to really move into kind of a commercial manufacturing environment was to leverage a model that was really built on 350 mile radius, right? And so we looked at kind of regional manufacturing facilities that were you know properly located in a high density base of consumers uh, that you know within 350 miles we effectively had 80 percent of our supply chain locked up from an inbound perspective, but also cool. From an outbound. Right? So, we wanted to sit on, on trucking lanes. We wanted to make sure that we had access for a lot of our fresh vegetables, uh, leafy beefy greens, in some cases, some you know, local cheeses or meats or, um, or whatever the ingredient is, right? Um, to be able to you know, have this kind of non contiguous strategy to launch additional regional facilities with local regional supply chains uh, to service local markets. And what we found, which was really interesting is if you go back to the kind of uh, post-COVID era, the supply chain disruptions were crazy, right? So some of the leaders in packaged salads had a kind of on time and full fulfillment rate to their customers, like under 50%, right? Because they couldn't get things trucked over from California to wherever they were making it or whatever the case was. Uh, Our fulfillment rate through the entire year of 2021 and 2022 was, always above 93%. And so it's a testament to, you know, having that forced local supply chain allowed us to even go pick things up, you know, if we couldn't get someone to bring it to us. Um, And it really made a big difference in terms of our ability to step up and, you know, fulfill customer orders and scale the business in a time where, you know, the supply chain, the trucking industry, everything had just inflated like crazy um, in the midst of the pandemic and everything that was going on. So... Um, so pretty unique, pretty interesting model from a supply chain perspective.
0: Yeah. I'm curious with that. I mean, as far as being, you know, close to your sourcing points and and designing your manufacturing facilities that way, did you have advice guidance on, on, on that strategy or did you just know from being a chef and sourcing in general?
2: Well, it's funny. I mean, one, it all came through advisors and from a different variety of perspectives. Right. But, um. When we were initially kind of uh, rethinking how we would, you know, bring our products to market at scale, the initial thought was to build our own facility and operate it the same way you would build and operate a kitchen, right? It's what I knew. Sure. It's, um, but the the reality of a forty million dollar investment and years to build and you know no zero revenue until it's built uh, became pretty apparent, and so we we started to look at how can we leverage existing infrastructure, teams, systems, and food safety programs that were best in class. Um, And I was able to be kind of uh, coached and convinced that that was our path to market, right? To be able to operate, you know, on a lean basis, um, you know, really expedite speed to market um, and ensure that our our execution and our quality and our food safety remained, you know, best in class for the types of customers we're now servicing, right? So you've got, you know, Starbucks, 7-Eleven, Costco, food service galore, um, you name it, right? some of the best global companies, you know, that are serving food and other items, um, have, have come to us, right? There's been no solicitation from our sales team to try and sell this category again. You know, not only are we solving a real problem with, you know, basically a six shelf life for this category, uh, for folks to have that many more days to sell the product instead of throwing it in the garbage. Um, but we're improving quality and, and user and customer experience along the way. So it's, kind of a no-brainer we have kind of the gift right to pick and choose who who we want to serve from a customer base um, and ensure that we stay focused because in our world focus is the name of the game because we could open way more doors than we have the capacity or capability to manage
0: so lettuce being a primary ingredient in your jars have you considered hydroponic or vertically grown just from that sourcing point perspective and the expanded shelf life that um you know, they talk about, and I've had a few greenhouse growers on, and and they admit themselves, I mean, they've got still a ways to go to be able to be, you know, food service cost friendly, um, if ever. I mean, just compared to, you know, the time, timelessness of outdoor farming methods, and, you know, obviously the big growers on the in the California and Yuma areas, but have you considered them? Do you currently incorporate them? You know, what's your experience with that?
2: We absolutely do. And we currently do incorporate. So, Uh, We're not 100%, you know, source from greenhouse growers, uh, Mm -hmm. but we do have select SKUs that are 100% greenhouse grown lettuce um, that are, you know, really driven off of that local supply chain, right? And so, you know, you have your, in the lettuce world, you know, if you're listening and you, you understand this dynamic, every year, you know, lettuce is either grown in California or it's grown in Arizona. And, you know, these growers have to sometimes load, you know, massive amounts of equipment into trucks, move them, get them reset up you know, and get, you know, things harvested and back into the supply chain. It never goes as planned and it's always, always an issue. And so supply is, you know, has disruptions and it's always assumed that it always happens, And so, uh, and costs are, you know, play off the market. So, you know, the, even though these greenhouse growers do have a more consistent higher cost, um, we value, you know, on time and full, you know, and fulfillment to our customers, more so than, uh, and some of these variable costs that kind of come off of this transition market and sometimes water shortages or rains or floods or whatever the unexpected issue of the day or week is. It's just the reality of this industry. So we have a little bit more assurance of supply. We've got a consistent product and we know that we'll always have availability to fulfill orders so long as we forecast properly and, you know, and plan, plan accordingly. And then ultimately set up these contracts deals that allow us to, you know, uh, kind of have the ability to, uh, plant our own seed, so to speak. Right. Uh, so that, you know, as it's being grown, it's being, it's known as being sold. Um, and when we pick up the product, because we can on a local supply chain, we get really good pricing. Uh, yeah. and so there's just a lot of, of good that comes from sourcing locally, but the elephant in the room is we could, we can't afford to do that everywhere in every skew. Uh, because of the pure cost, right? So we're currently in conversations with several folks that, you know, we might be able to put a bigger program together uh, or have some supplemental programs or whatever. But I do think they'll play and continue to play a key role in the space. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are obviously concerns around, you know, the longevity and feasibility of the model, you know, from a, a ability to generate cash. And then also the constant question on, does this lettuce really need to be washed or not? Um, And those are just the questions that, you know, we'll continue to seek answers. And as answers are kind of uh, confirmed, you know, we'll solidify our strategy.
0: Awesome. All right. So let's talk about the jars. Tell me about maybe just one or two of your favorites in the line currently and um, the ingredients and, and even just part of the technology process that's gone into them.
2: All right. So I can never pick a favorite, but I always say, Depends on the day. And so today, outside in Philadelphia, it's about 60 degrees, a little overcast and gloomy. So, what I would really go for is our uh, heavenly pesto, which is, you know, uh, tomato mozzarella, these cool little sweetie drop peppers we engineered that taste like peppadoos um, mm. with, you know, a, a basil pesto couscous and, you know, beautiful mixed greens. Um, just really light, flavorful, herbaceous, um, really delights. And, you know, it's 360 calories. So, you can't go wrong. Um, one of the, and it differs by channel, one of the, the best sellers in like the, the college campus, uh, segment is a smoked salmon salad with, uh, fennel wow. lemon vinegar fresh radish. Um, we've got baby arugula, um, and like a hot smoked salmon that's sustainable from blue circle foods. It, it's amazing. Um, and then you, know, you go to a Costco and, you know, chicken baking cob all day. Right. So can not go wrong they're all delicious uh we just had a tasting with our svp of r&d we've got some new items coming out that we're really excited about that are developing for some of these new markets that we're launching um and we just earlier this year launched our uh, all-day parfait line of kind of 4.99 kind of snackable yogurt or vegan you know parfait based jars that are delicious as well as our ready-to-blend smoothies that are basically developed like a a frozen smoothie that you would dump in a blender, but in this case, our technology enables us to combine you know fresh fruits, vegetables, leafy greens, dried fruits, nuts, whatever uh, to kind of create this you know kit concept that you know you dump in a blender, add four ounces of liquid of choice, and you've got a fresh blended smoothie um, without any of the prep or hassle
0: Wow, those sound beautiful. I'm a huge fan of arugula in in lattice and, and, lettuce and- salad, mixed greens. It's just got that perfect bite and flavor. So I'm so impressed. The smoked salad, I mean, smoked salmon is just, that's just amazing. Um, Do they come with a fork?
2: Currently they do not. And so it is something we're evaluating. Um, We are a B Corp, right? So um, we got certified three and a half years ago. It was something I really believed in as make sure we're not only say we're a sustainable business, but we prove it. And so, part of our initiative is to minimize that packaging waste that you you know so eloquently spoke against. <laughs> you find also <laughs> it. It, oh, just seems wasteful. It's like, what do you do with it when you're like trying to eat your meal? Um, and so, you know, the addition of a fork would even either need to be wrapped to the outside of the jar, right? Because if you remember, before you even open our package, you can just shake it like a like a cocktail to mix everything up. If the fork's in there, it's dirty. Nobody wants to eat it. Eat it. Um, And we certainly don't want any contamination um, with, you know, dropping a fork, you know, somewhere that's going to touch the product. And, you know, we're, we're sticklers about food safety. You realize that, you know, our format and products, you know, don't have quote unquote kill steps. They're not heated to a certain degree. They're not, you know, all these things that happen. So we have to be diligent about our food safety protocols and the decisions we make to ensure that our customers are never, ever exposed to any type of contaminant or risk, uh, when consuming our product and introducing a, a physical contaminant, like a wrapped fork that came from God knows where uh, mm-hmm. spent however long on a ship or whatever the case is that's now sitting in your salad. Um, it's just not something that, you know, is, has convinced me otherwise to, uh, just allow the consumer, the, to find a fork It'd be the hardest part. But if you find a fork, you're going to have a, a, great meal to enjoy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very thoughtful. I mean, I think just the process that you explained is, I hope, gives some of our listeners just that understanding between, first of all, again, the thoughtfulness in what you're creating and what you are in and what you're doing um, and, and just the challenge that you have to, you know, every little piece and part you have to think about. Um, how about just where to get them? So you said 24 different states are currently in. What does that look like state by state right now? Just give us the long list of if you're listening, they're hungry, and they just want to test it out today, where, they, where can they grab one?
2: Absolutely. So the good and the bad news is, is we sell a lot of jars to food service that we have no idea where they actually are. So- <laughs> But what we do know, like the, <laughs> the locations, we do know where they are. We always put on our website so you can go on our store locator. You can put in your zip code or address and basically anywhere you can find some big jars in a 20 mile radius will pop up. And if you, if you don't have any in a 20 mile radius, you can click a little button, ask one of your local retailers that carry the product that usually converts pretty well alone. Mm-hmm. But otherwise we do have the home delivery that we just launched from good uncle. Uh, so that's another avenue for folks to explore and, um, you know, some, some of the bigger names out there, right? So, uh, Costco warehouses in the Northeast markets and in Los Angeles right now, you can find a variety of SKUs they are different in each market. Um, awesome. we're in a ton of college campuses, hospitals, a lot of private offices where, you know, the, the general public can't really find them. Uh, 7 across you know, all five boroughs of Manhattan, New York, um, and making our way down the East coast into Florida. And then, um, oh, we've got a, Pretty cool thing happening with uh, Starbucks that we can't quite uh, unveil yet, but, you know, just keep on the store locator and you'll, uh, you'll be able to discover some products at your local cafe soon.
0: Uh, That's fantastic. How about just challenges and looking back and looking forward? What do you believe right now um, to be the greatest challenge that you're currently facing for this business model and how are you tackling it?
2: So it's funny. I mean, our, what I consider our biggest challenge is also our biggest opportunity. And I've always felt that, you know, competition challenges, whatever it should and can always propagate a positive, right? And so our challenge right now, unfortunately, is that consumers do not trust packaged salads to be good, especially not great, right? Because their experience historically has always been subpar to, you know, get a, a little bowl of ice romaine with all these pouches and dressings and whatever, and they'll never pay more than $5 for them or whatever the case is. You know, we have for the first time ever made a salad that you would expect to find in a restaurant, um, scalable and distributable through mainstream distribution because of our shelf life abilities. And so when we get folks to try our products, we get repurchased in the 86th percentile and word spreads like wildfire. We do three demos in a row at Costco and all of a sudden our, our sales are through the roof, right? Like oh, way wow. beyond any category expectation, but we gotta get folks to try it. So, yeah. you know, our challenge and opportunity is that, you know, we've developed a product to really address an unserved need in the marketplace. And so sure. informing consumers that we can now meet their needs is our biggest challenge, but also our biggest opportunity. Um, and the way that we tackle that is really through, you know, trying to get folks to try and incentivize that first trial off-shelf um, and, and spread awareness about what we're doing and what we built and what you can expect as a consumer when you try our products.
0: And how about success? What does success look like for Simply Good Jars in 2024 and
2: beyond? So. So I'm a, I'm a big thinker, right? So I, I like to think a little bit farther beyond next year. And so I'll, maybe I'll start out and then we'll work our way back. But, you know, I think that, and one of our advisors, the, the old SVP of R&D from Starbucks, he says it really, really well. You know, the U.S. supply chain is predominantly built on frozen distribution, right? Refrigerated is, is not a strength. And so the reality is what you have are these local regional um you know commissary based systems that are you know running short distances seven days a week to fulfill items such that we're making um and so there's high costs and the quality's low what i believe we've done is really create a solution to a supply chain problem in refrigeration that actually makes fresh food scalable to the mass consumer market which, which means that we can actually have high quality, nutritional, dense, great, you know, healthy, fresh food under $10, sometimes under nine or $8 available, mm-hmm. um, as a alternative to a piece of pizza, a burger or whatever the case is. And so my big thinking is look, if in, in five years, we can kind of ratchet down that us, you know, health statistic of percentage of folks with diabetes, right? Like that the health impact metrics of the US consumer, because we've made better quality options more available to folks in convenient places, that to me is the best you know win that we could accomplish as an organization. It's gonna take a lot to get there, but that is is something that I would define as a, a pinnacle moment um, that you, know, you might not be able to trace back to simply good jars by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, we're out to solve or we're, some really big problems and And I believe that making better quality food available in more convenient places to the mass market um, certainly has its opportunity Short term, you know there's a lot of between here and there uh, you know we've got to capitalize the business. we're in the midst of uh, raising a significant round of funding that will allow us to take you know a, a footprint of three regional facilities and have a national program to step in the opportunity with some really great customers uh, that we're starting to you know hopefully get. Kind of solidified here, and then roll out starting in 2024, and you know open another three additional facilities, which will really enable us to have that full reach um, in the U.S. market. We've got several partners internationally that are looking to leverage our IP, uh, so that we could ultimately help some other countries in the future, um, really be enabled to tackle their own kind of territories, markets, and opportunities to, again, kind of enhance the usable life of these high perishable kind of grab and go items uh, to solve their own unique challenges and their own unique environment. So lots of, lots of really cool opportunity for us in, in the pipeline. You know, we, you know, baby steps and small wins make big wins and hopefully those, you know, small wins add up to uh, to a world where everyone's a little bit healthier and taking better care of themselves.
0: Jared, I am so happy for you. You guys are doing a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And it's been s- such a pleasure to hear your story, what you're all about, and even just hear your process and thinking for current state and future. You are, you are very extraordinary for sure. Thank you. Um, I like to wrap with just a couple personal questions. We call them rapid fire, but in the spirit of the name of the show, Grounded, tell me a daily habit that keeps you grounded. <laughs>
2: um, at 6 p.m. sharp, uh, work is done and it becomes family time and time to focus on, oh, you know, it. on home life.
0: How about a strategy in your work day that saves you the most time?
2: Live and breathe and die by my calendar.
0: <laughs> the next generation of supply chain or procurement professionals, what is a secret that you're willing to share?
2: Maximize your gross profit per drop.
0: Huh. Mentor. Who, is a, who has been a mentor for you and in what way?
2: I've had a lot of mentors, a lot of advisors. Uh, but first that comes to mind is a, a gentleman that really helped build and craft our entire manufacturing footprint supply chain and strategy, uh, Mr. Mark Castellana of uh, Dallas, Texas
0: and then a pick favorite staple produce item for a burger.
1: Produce for burger?
0: Yeah, for a burger.
2: I'm not going to say tomato. He-
0: no one said tomato yet. That'll be rapid fire.
2: Oh. So, I'll say tomato. And- I can't think of anything. I'm under, I'm under the gun beef steak
1: Beefsteak or
0: something. I mean, what kind of tomato?
2: Oh, I don't know. So, I mean, if we're going that granular, then I'm going to go with uh, an heirloom. Um, uh, heirloom beefsteak.
0: Heirloom beefsteak tomato. Okay. You know how many people have answered pickles to that question?
2: <laughs> that's not a, ve- that's a processed vegetable. <laughs> the answer would be cucumbers, if you want me.
0: Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So if you've heard something today that you've liked, go to simplygoodjars.com. If you can find the um, you know, about us, you can you can find the store locator and see where the product's available for you or recommend it to your community. Um, Jared, if people want to reach out to you in specific, where can they get a hold of you? Um, do you prefer LinkedIn or any other source to connect?
2: Yeah, LinkedIn's the best for kind of professionally connecting. And I always like to uh To expand my network, connect with like-minded folks that are doing, you know, cool things or things similar to what we're doing to, you know, share best practices, you know, build a community of of like-minded folks kind of, all going in the same direction. So uh, hit me up LinkedIn, uh, send me a message. I've got a little bit of a, a, a thing on there, so you can't just friend request me without my email, but that's put in purpose for a lot of obvious reasons. Yeah. LinkedIn message all day, every day and uh, check it daily.
0: I imagine there's gonna be a lot of people who get inspired by something they've heard and you certainly are approachable. So feel free to friend him and then reach out with a question and we'll keep all the information in the show notes as usual. Jared Cannon, thank you so much for coming on today.
2: Thanks Lauren. That was a pleasure. And uh, till we meet again.
0: All right, this has been another exciting episode of Grounded. See you next time. And that wraps up another episode. We have covered a lot of ground today. Thank you for joining. For show notes and our most updated market report, visit us at groundedthepod.com. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators by leveraging technology, talent, an insatiable appetite
1: to improve.